being with you all. Thank you so much for your, uh, for your warm welcome. Uh, it's really a delight to be back. And again, I want publicly to give thanks to God for the ministry of your pastor, Johnny. Johnny, I am so blessed by your passion for the gospel, your tremendous heart for God's word and God's people, uh, your just infectious joy in the Lord and your real heart to bring those who do not yet know our Savior uh, to a living knowledge and relationship with him. Thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you for your faithful leadership. You're doing a wonderful job. Thank you. And my great thanks to you, Corky, and to, to Rod and the church council, um, all of you, for all that you pour out in service of our of our Lord and in service of this church. You all are so graciously and lovingly led. Um, I know you know that. Some of you are even nodding as I say it. But I hope you give thanks to God for your leaders, and I hope you pray earnestly for them. Um, they, they, they do so much uh, for all of you and for, for God's kingdom. I bring you greetings from our Archbishop, Archbishop Foley Beach of the Anglican Church in North America and all of his travels around the country and indeed all over the world. He sends his, his warm greetings to you all. Well, since Easter, you've been in an engaging sermon series on the book of Acts. I've been enjoying them with you uh, online, and you've been seeing how the church began, how it faced challenges as it grew. And in that, the book of Acts shows us a great deal about what the church should be like. Now, quite a few of us painfully know something about what the church should never be like. Some of us have felt betrayed by a denomination that turned away from the truth, or perhaps by uh, a pastor who was insensitive and who was very wounding, or we've been rejected by an uncaring community, or we've been controlled by oppressive leadership. Somewhere along the way, many of us have seen the church at its worst and it's left a mark. This morning, I want to look at the model given us in the Bible. I want to hold up the experience of those early Christians gathered together in the fledgling church in the city of Antioch. And I want to see what their experience can show us about being church in Northern Virginia. Now, Antioch was an important city in the Roman world. It was considered the third most important city in the entire Roman Empire after Rome and Alexandria, Egypt. It was a large city with a population upwards of half a million. It was a Gentile city, but it had a large Jewish population. And as we heard in our reading, the church was established there because some faithful believers in Jerusalem got forced out of their church by the persecution that came against them. Jesus, of course, had told his disciples just before he ascended into heaven, as you all heard in Acts chapter 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But as Johnny pointed out a few sermons back, there was no evidence that they went out beyond Jerusalem until they were forced out by the persecution that arose 
after the deacon Stephen was martyred for his witness for Christ. We probably would say that their missionary obedience was initially motivated more by circumstances than by strategy. I'm reminded of what uh, President John Kennedy said when asked how he had become a Navy war hero during World War II. And he replied, it was involuntary. They sank my boat. <laughs> <laughs> so true for the, uh, the early apostles. Uh, they were forced out. But isn't it fascinating how God will often use hardship and adversity for his good purposes? How often the Lord will use a crisis to get us refocused, reoriented, back in line with his priorities. Well, some of the believers who fled Jerusalem in the face of the persecution came to Antioch along, along the coast in the northeastern corner of the Mediterranean up where Syria meets Turkey. And there they planted a church. And I want to highlight a number of hallmarks of this church in Antioch. And as one privilege to serve you as your bishop, I want to reflect a bit on CCV, on what the Lord is doing among you and what he may be calling you to be and do here in Vienna and beyond. I see eight hallmarks in this church in Antioch for you to consider for yourselves as a gospel-driven, externally focused, extended family for Vienna. So here we go. Number one. The church in Antioch was an evangelizing church. In verse 20, we read, They came preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was on them, and a great number believed, who believed turned to the Lord. You're blessed to have a pastor who has a great heart for those who do not yet know Jesus Christ. A pastor with a holy boldness to call people to put their trust in the Lord. But it's not enough to be part of an evangelizing church if we're not also sharing the love of God ourselves. Would you pray that that same zeal to reach out with the good news of the gospel that characterizes this church as a whole will also mark your personal life? Would you ask God to make you as passionate to share Jesus as your pastor is? The church in Antioch was an evangelizing community. Hallmark number two, the church in Antioch was a discipling community. In verse 22, we read that word about this new church reached the church leaders in Jerusalem, and they sent to them one of their best, a man named Barnabas. Barnabas arrived and joined the team. It says he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And even more people turned to Christ. But Barnabas saw the need to go deeper. And you've probably heard it said about some churches, they're a mile wide and an inch deep. And Barnabas knew the danger of that. And so he reached out to the greatest teacher he knew, Saul from Tarsus, nearby, but the one whom we call the Apostle Paul. And Saul joined the team, and the two of them, Saul and Barnabas, taught that church for a year. And it was here in Antioch at that time that the followers of Jesus were first called Christians, meaning a follower of Christ. The church came to a deepening maturity. 
I know that many of you have come alive in your faith through this wonderful church. Keep pressing in for more of the Lord. It is not enough for this church to grow. You need to grow too. Go deeper in your study of God's word. Press in more fervently in prayer. Let the Lord bring you and this church to a greater maturity in Christ. Number three, the church in Antioch was a generous community. In verse 28, we read that about that time, a man named Agabus, who had the gift of prophecy by the Holy Spirit, Agabus came to Antioch and spoke a word from the Lord to the church. He said that God had showed him that there would be a famine throughout the Roman world coming very soon. Now, how would you react to something like that? A complete stranger shows up in church on Sunday and announces this extreme message that he claims is from God. Well, first you wonder if you should believe it. But if you did believe it, what would you do? You have to think about that. If a famine is coming to your world, it means it's coming to your city. It means it's coming to you. And you think, if the famine's coming, I better hunker down. I better save my pennies. I better watch my spending and cut down on anything I give away. I mean, that's the natural reaction if you know things are really going to get tight in the future. But how does the church in Antioch respond to this prophecy of famine? They take up an offering to help others. They give, and not just a token amount, they give each according to their ability and they send it off to the church in Jerusalem to relieve a famine that hasn't even happened yet. God yearns for CCB to be that kind of church, that kind of generous church, a church that gives and gives away. In my 40 years of ordained ministry, I've known three churches that have given away more and more until they were giving away half of their church budget every year. Wasn't that they cut back their ministry so much that they could do that. No, the people gave more and more freely, more and more joyously, until they raised up a missions budget equal to what they spent on ministry within the church. And those generous churches were instrumental in launching some of the most significant mission work you can imagine. Work that continues to this day. Friends, raise your sights. See with God's vision what he can do through you as you trust him and give. Number four, the church in Antioch was a multi-ethnic community. I'm going to turn over to the beginning of Acts chapter 13 where we pick up the story of this church. I'm sure you'll look at those verses again in a few weeks, but they're about the church of Antioch, so I want to take note of them this morning as well. We read in Acts chapter 13, verse 1, there were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a longtime friend, lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, Niger is a nickname that means black, so doubtless Simeon was an African. So was Lucius from Cyrene in North Africa. Manian, a friend of Herod, was obviously a Jew. 
Jew and Gentile, black and white, those groups were even more separated in that culture than in ours. And yet here they are together in one church. The tendency in groups of all sorts, including churches, is to become more and more uniform, more and more just like us. Let me urge you to resist that tendency. Let me urge you to bring even more clearly into view the diverse neighbors around you and pray for the Lord to show you what he would have you do to bring the good news of the Messiah to this whole community. Rod is doing wonderful work in the Latino community, and I pray that the Lord will open your hearts more and more to the wonderful diversity of peoples around you. <coughs> Number five, the church in Antioch was a worshiping community. Acts chapter 13, verse 2 says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. You see, when they came together for worship in Antioch, they came with an expectancy of meeting God. They weren't just going through the motions. They didn't just come to hear a good sermon. They just didn't come to enjoy the music. They came open to God, eager to give him praise, passionate to know him more, receptive to what he wanted to do in their lives. Worship isn't just good preaching, although the preaching you hear here at CCV is a tremendous blessing. Worship isn't just music, although the music you enjoy here is glorious. Worship is coming into the presence of God to give him the glory that he alone is worthy to receive. It is encountering the living God who longs to show you himself and to make known to you his will and plan for you. May CCV ever be a community where people come before God open, eager, expectant, where God can speak and where you, his people, will hear him, where worship is alive and where lives are transformed. Number six, the church in Antioch was a spirit-led community. The Holy Spirit spoke and said, verse 2, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I called them. God speaks. God directs. God has a will and a plan for you personally. And he has a will and a plan for this church. And that means we lay down our own agendas and preferences and we follow the Holy Spirit. The prophet Jeremiah had some very harsh words to say about the false shepherds, those ungodly leaders who didn't rightly lead and care for God's flock. In chapter 23, Jeremiah spoke this word from the Lord about them. He said, woe to the shepherds. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. But which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or hear his word? Who has listened and heard the Lord's word. Ezekiel also spoke about these ungodly leaders, said very similar things, but he took it one step further. Ezekiel said in chapter 13 about these leaders, their visions are false, their divinations a lie. Even though the Lord has not sent them, they say the Lord declares 
and they expect the Lord to fulfill their words. That's all too much like us, who often make our own plans and then expect God to bless them. But contrast that with what Jesus said about his own, his own words in John chapter 8. Jesus said, I'm telling you what I have seen in my Father's presence. You see, the Bible shows us that the key to discerning and fulfilling God's vision is prayer. What Jeremiah called for in that haunting question when he asked about the leaders of the people, which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or hear his word? Who has listened and heard the Lord's word? How blessed you are to have such faithful leaders who want to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and not their own agenda. Keep on praying. Seek the Lord's direction. He is faithful, and he will show you the way. Number seven, the church in Antioch was a missionary community. Acts 13, verses 3 and 4. After fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is Barnabas and Saul. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed on to Cyprus. The church sent out Barnabas and Saul. Now these were their very best, and yet they sent them out. Interestingly, the wording in the original doesn't quite come through in English. In verse where it says the church sent Barnabas and Saul, the word used really means released. The church released them. Then in verse 4, it is the Holy Spirit who actually sent them. And that's exactly the way it works. The church needed to release them to do what the Holy Spirit was calling them to do. And when the church said yes to God and let go of these leaders, the Holy Spirit sent them out on a mission that changed the world. In fact, they did it with fasting and prayer, means they knew it had to be God's work. They weren't capable of pulling this off. If God didn't empower this mission, it was going to fail. You see, Antioch was a wonderful church, and it was reaching people, but that wasn't enough. God was calling them to do so much more, and they weren't complacent or smug. They were obedient to the Lord's call to reach out. All the work the Apostle Paul did in mission, taking the gospel to Europe, planting churches, all of it came because the church in Antioch was a missionary church, a sending church. I'm so blessed by the way you all are partnering with Matt Hemsley as he is planting the gospel in the Mosaic District. And I pray that you will take the lead in planting more churches in the coming years as you fulfill God's call to be an externally focused, outward-facing community. And last, number eight, the church in Antioch was a submitted community. A submitted community. A few years later, the church in Antioch faced a problem that threatened to divide them and destroy the church. They were confused about how to handle the issue of Gentiles becoming Christians. Did these non-Jews have to follow all the rules of the Jewish law in the Old Testament or not? And we read about the controversy in Acts chapter 15. But when they had this difficulty, the church in Antioch did not presume to deal with it on their own. They asked for help. 
They went to the apostles in Jerusalem for guidance and direction. And when they received the guidance of the apostles, when they heard that decision, they didn't react defensively or in that passive-aggressive way where you say you're go, you'll go along, but then you just grumble behind their back and fight it all the way. No, it says in Acts chapter 15 that they rejoiced because of the encouragement they received from those in authority over them. Sometimes when we've been burned by those who have led us badly, we can be forever distrustful of those who are in authority. If we've been hurt by parents or teachers or police or church leaders, we can be very hesitant to trust someone in authority. But when we forgive, when we ask the Lord to heal us, he brings us into right and healthy relationships with our leaders where we can be protected and where we can safely trust what our leaders do for us. And then we can act with the authority we've been given under their leadership. God has given you godly leaders you can trust. They're not perfect, but they are open and transparent and humble servants of the Lord and servants of you, God's people. Give thanks to God for them and follow them as they follow Christ. So eight hallmarks of the church in Antioch and its people. They shared the gospel passionately. They discipled people to maturity. They gave generously within the church and beyond it. They reached all sorts of people, people like them and people who were very different. They worshiped the Lord with their, all their hearts and they delighted in his presence. They were open to the gifts of the Holy Spirit and they obeyed the Holy Spirit promptly. They sent out their best and they changed the world. They trusted and they followed their leaders. Friends, the Lord is wonderfully at work among you. Rejoice in that. Delight in that. Don't let it go to your head. <laughs> but always give the credit to God. Tell those you know how the Lord is at work here, how he's changing your life through this wonderful church family. Keep on lifting up Jesus Christ. Share the good news of his salvation with a city that needs him so very much. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you for the, the witness of the church in Antioch. I thank you for the, the fruit of their ministry, which uh, continues to come forth even in our own day, even in this community. And I ask you, Lord, that you would cause CCB more and more to bear that fruit in this world, that they would be a blessing and an encouragement to many. And through them, many would come to know and follow our Savior, Jesus Christ, for his glory. For it is in his mighty name that we pray. Amen. Oh,